0: Well, if you're new with us, I know uh, there's a lot of people traveling this weekend, so there's a great chance some of you have traveled in town this weekend, so welcome, glad that you're here. We're in the third part of a trilogy, it's called the Genesis Chronicles, Rebellion and Redemption, and it's been focusing on chapters 1, 2, and 3 of the book of Genesis, and we're finishing out this trilogy and going into this third section, and that's where you're landing today. So I want to bring you up to speed for just a couple of minutes as we launch into this teaching. Um, Genesis, as you, as we've jumped into the series, it takes you back to the ancient epic story of beginnings. It's literally like stepping back through time into another world that we've never seen. And God gives a glimpse of the very beginning of time when God created. We get glimpses of so many things. We get a glimpse of who God is himself. We learn things that God himself, he's brilliant. He's absolutely creative. He's amazingly powerful, and he is genuinely good. He creates the entire universe. That includes all the galaxies. That includes our local galaxy, includes our earth, the plants, the trees, everything on them, animals that live on the land, birds in the air, the creatures of the sea, all the imagination of God. And he created it all. And he said it was perfect. In fact, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, it says, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. How good was it? It's very good. You ready for a crazy, mind-blowing thought? Frederick Schiller said this. He said the universe was just one of God's thoughts. That mind-boggling? You ready for another crazy thought? So were you. God created the highest order of creation, and the highest order of creation he saved for last. He created a man, and he created a woman. They were in a very unique position. Something was said about them that was said about none of the other creatures. It said that they were created in his image. That means that God set them apart for a very unique role. When they were living on the earth, they were set aside to care for the earth just as God would care for it, to extend dominion and love it, care for it, extend the goodness of God over the earth. It's almost like thinking the first couple is like the first king and queen of the earth. That's really how God set them up to rule and establish. It's an amazing beginning. Well, it doesn't take long. By chapter 3, another character is introduced. Chapter 3, verse 1 says this Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. Who is the serpent? Several weeks ago, Mike unpacked this that scripture is very clear. There is a very real enemy, Satan is real. He took this form of a serpent, this creature. But we know certain things about him. He has one objective, and it's very clear. He wants to destroy, and he's good at it. His main tactic is to deceive and to lie. If he can disparage the character of God, he knows he's winning. If he can tempt and paint a picture that there's a better way outside of God... That becomes attractive. The lie that God is not good will be fed in subtle ways. And that's his main tactic. He is a destroyer and he is still active. This fall is something that they gave into. Last week, Mike went through the temptation study. It was like the anatomy of a temptation. How it all starts rolling out and what happens. And the implication was disastrous. They fed into the lie. And they didn't find a better option outside of God. In fact, all they found was spiritual death, ultimately physical death, and they found destruction. That's what they found. So you have this tragic fall But what that does, it sets this amazing backdrop for the goodness of God to be displayed. Because right at that moment, something else kicked into play. God started a rescue process. A plan went into operation. And God was willing at one point to come back, even if it's himself coming back, and it is, That God will take on flesh and blood, come and pay the perfect price in order to redeem a humanity that turned from him. And that's the backdrop of the story. He ultimately died on a cross. He raised from the dead, demonstrates his authority. But what it does, that act of dying and raising, it literally defeated several things. Sin, death, and Satan himself. They're defeated, not yet destroyed. That's why he says one day there'll be a return, and he'll do that. So we live in this world where there is ultimate victory. We're people who can be overcomers, because Christ has already overcome. We can have freedom in areas we've never had freedom before. That's the amazing beginnings we find all in Genesis. But the reality is, the enemy is still active. He is still real. We are still tempted. We'd still give in. And sometimes we live as though we are defeated, yet we're moving into a season when we get to celebrate what? The hope of the world, right? So today, as we go through Genesis, what I want to highlight is we live in a world that has conflict. There's a spiritual conflict that's real and at play. It is spiritual warfare. There's an enemy kingdom, and there's God's kingdom, And obviously, God is the overcoming, winning. He's he's already victor. There's not a chance his kingdom's gonna be overcome. But the enemy is still set to destroy and to deceive. And so today, as we continue on in Genesis, we're really taking a sidebar from Genesis. We're not gonna go farther into the study in those chapters. What we're gonna do is we're gonna look at two stories that highlight a strategy to overcome the enemy. It's a spiritual warfare strategy. And it's very powerful. It has been practiced by believers throughout the ages. And it is a key one for all of us to understand, especially in times and seasons where it's tough or stressful. Do you know what they say the most stressful time of year is traditionally for people? Between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Did you realize that? Uh, do you realize you only have three weekends left till Christmas? Good. Did that just stress you out? Right? It should. Everyone's getting on their phone looking for Cyber Monday deals right now. It's like, going to find that. Um, It starts feeling stressful. Why? Well, we pack so much in. We have all these extra commitments, all these parties. We have to redecorate our house. we got to buy gifts for all these people that we know. We've got to have either family coming in and we're going to go visit family. Family dynamics will kick in. If you're emotionally in a rough spot, whether you're feeling lonely or you've experienced loss, those things tend to amplify during the season, right? So this is a great backdrop for us to pause in the series and really take a look at what is a strategy for overcoming that. How do you overcome that? In your outline, if you have a program, you'll find in it, there's a uh, note sheet that you can use to take notes and follow along. And uh, I'd like you to turn to the section that says, Giving Thanks the Strategy. Giving Thanks the Strategy. As we move into this, I wanted to highlight there's one scripture in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, that highlights the spiritual war that we're in. It says this For our struggle, it is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, it's against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. It's just highlighting the fact there are real spiritual forces at play that are evil. And so outside of what we can physically see and touch, there is a real world. According to this verse, it's actually more real than physical world. It's powerful. This strategy that we're going to take a look at is meant to overcome. The first one is an Old Testament picture. It's a story in the Old Testament. It goes back to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. If you have a Bible or a Bible app, go ahead and turn to 2 Chronicles 20. And this is what you're... As you turn there, I'm going to set you up for the story. I'll give you some background. This is a story where the Jewish people were were living in a time where a new king had taken rule, Jehoshaphat. And he was 35 when he took the reins, and he began to rule. One of the first things he did... He just made a commitment. He says, I want us to be a nation. We were a nation set apart by God and for God. And so he wanted to carry on the tradition saying, we need to live for the Lord. And they weren't doing that. So he went to the high places, tore down these idols that were being put up to false gods. He knew that the commands were saying, hey, there should be no other gods before me. So he took them down. Another thing he did, he appointed priests and he appointed Levites. And they were sent out throughout the land. And their job was to teach people about the law, the word of God. He wanted people to be educated in what God, who God is, what he said. And he actually appointed men to go out and to teach it throughout the land. So in his mind, he's turning the course of this nation. And he's doing what this nation was originally set out to do, which was to honor God. And he's going for it. And so in his mind, it's a great season. Things are going well. And all of a sudden, he gets disastrous news. He finds out that a coalition of nations, of eastern nations, have banded together to wipe them out, utterly destroy them, led by Moab, the Moabites, the Ammonites, another group called the Munites, this vast, it it just formed into this vast army, and they're completely overwhelmed. They like if you just look at the numbers of people, there is no shot. They have no chance of defending themselves against this vast of an army that's gonna be coming around a little used route around the Dead Sea to come into their area and wipe them out. And so they don't know what to do. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 12. Take a look at this verse. One of the first things they did is say, God, we thank you. You saved us before. Thank you. You've rescued us in the past. And then they declare this in verse 12. He said, We have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. That is an awesome verse, isn't it? I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. That's what he declares. That's easy to say that. That is a hard thing to even consider when you know an army's at your doorstep, right? Now, look, let's see what he commands his people to do at this point in verse 20 jump down a few verses early in the morning they left for the desert of Tekoa and as they set out Jehoshaphat stood up and he said listen to me Judah and the people of Jerusalem have faith in the Lord your God and you'll be upheld have faith in his prophets and you'll be successful he's reminding them listen We've got promises of God himself for us. He'll preserve us. And he's reminding them, stand on that. Then he goes on in verse 21. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord. What? Now this seems a little bit weird. Just understand. You've got an army that is coming in to wipe you out. You've got to get ready for some kind of defense. And then he just says this. After consulting, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness. And now catch this, as they went out at the head of the army, saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Did you just hear what he said? Did you catch his battle strategy? I would like to appoint a choir. I want the choir to go in front of our defensive line the biggest, baddest dudes we've got, stand in front of them. And would you do me a favor? I want you just to sing. Hey, do we have anybody who plays some instruments? Yeah, you guys get up there too. Let's get a band. Let's get people who can sing. And I want you to do one thing. God, I thank you. Your love endures forever. God, you're good. I thank you, God. You're so good. Thank you, Lord. And they begin worshiping and praising. That is the strategy. Now, I don't know how many people jumped and volunteered to be in the choir that day. Right, You're at the head of the, you're at the, at the point of the arrow. You're it. You'll be the first to go. But that's the strategy. Why in the world would he do it? He was understanding that this battle, though very real, had a very spiritual nature to it. They have promises they stand on, and they're going to stand on them today. This is actually more spiritual than physical, And he made a determination that they will declare trust in the Lord, and he's come through before, and they're going to go for it again. Because they don't know what to do, but their eyes are on you. And that's what he does. Verse 22 As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Sire, who were living in Judah, and they were defeated. What you got to catch is God did something miraculous the armies basically turn on each other. Somehow they believe they're attacking. They kill each other off completely. They never, the, uh, the Israelites, they didn't have to do a thing. They didn't have to have one battle. They worshiped. The enemies kill themselves. They avoid genocide. You know, they had to be thinking about their wife and their children. Their future was uncertain too. Everything was up in the air. And God said, ambushes. They had so much plunder left over, all these weapons, food, supplies. That nation just got richer from that whole experience. And they never even had to fight a battle. And the strategy was simple. What did they do? They gave thanks to the Lord. I want to take you to one more story. It's in the New Testament, it's Acts chapter 16. In Acts 16, this is a story of uh, Paul. He is an apostle, he wrote a majority of the New Testament. Paul was on his second missionary journey, and what he was doing, he was just going around saying, you know, Jesus, he was a real person, flesh and blood. This is what he did. He was here. He died. He literally rose from the dead. He, hundreds of people saw him, and then they would begin praying and ministering to people. Dramatic things are happening. People are turning to the Lord, so the, This, and he's establishing churches. And so they're having great success, and on the second missionary journey, he takes along Silas and Timothy with him. And in this, right where we're going to get to in chapter 16, they just led a businesswoman to the Lord, and she turned her life around, and they also, they encountered someone who was demon-possessed, and they free this man from a demon, and so there's some commotion in the area about it. And then there's enemies that are coming up against it, people who don't like what they're doing. This is where we jump into Acts chapter 16. It says, the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. Now the local crowd started turning. And the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. So they get arrested. They rip their clothes off and they begin to beat them. That sounds fairly traumatic, right? The great candidates for PTSD. You're literally stripped, that's violating, you are beaten, you're abused after they had been severely flogged. They were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Well, upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell. And then he fastened their feet in the stocks. So now they're locked up, got this jailer here, they can't even move, they're bloody and broken you can't get comfortable, and your world just came crushing down. What do you do? As a police officer, been volunteering doing that for many years, I've made a lot of arrests. Can I tell you something? When you arrest somebody, you see a lot of different things. Uh, Sometimes people cry. Sometimes they pass out. Sometimes they spit on you, right? I've been called things. I didn't even know that was even out there. It's like I've been called a lot of things. Um, Yelled at, spit at, people will fake, you know, call an ambulance, they're dying. Get a lot of things. I have never encountered verse 25, though. All right, here we go. So they got arrested. And at about midnight, Paul and Silas, well, they were praying. And they're singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Let that just sink in for a second. You have to enter into what was just going on with them and what's in their mind. you got to understand persecution was rampant. Their future is really uncertain. They could die. If you feel like you can die, what emotions do you think you feel? That's got to be scary. you got to feel fear. You've been out there, for one, doing what God's asked you to do, and how in the world does God allow you to get stripped, violated, abused, locked up, Where is God when we're out doing the work of God? Where is he? But you don't see him cursing out God. They got to be thinking, I've been trying to love these people. I've been doing everything. We're trying to, we're praying for them. We're just trying to give them the best news we've ever heard. That's all we're trying to do. And then you get a group of them that turn on you. So they got to feel some sense of rejection, frustration, anger, even this jailer. They don't start cussing the jailer out. They don't start panicking, wondering about their future. They also were Roman citizens that actually gave them legal rights, and they were all violated. They experienced injustice. They're not out there screaming at the jailer, demanding their their rights. It's such a bizarre moment that's when you look at verse 25 and you put all those pieces together, and it says that they were praying and singing hymns to God. They're saying, God... And and usually in these prayers and hymns, it's just focusing on the goodness of God, the power of God, thanking God. I guarantee they felt all those emotions, yet in spite of feeling those things, they engaged like this in a whole new way. It is radical, and I am telling you, it is something that God delights in. It was a spiritual strategy. They knew that Jesus is a victorious warrior. And they just stood on what they knew in spite of what they could see and they worshiped. And they thanked God. And in verse 26, it says this Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundation of the prison was shaken, and all, and all at once the doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. What in the world? Right? That's dramatic too crazy day to be in a prison, right? Chains all come loose. Now, the, yeah, understand, this guard was given special orders, and what he was about to do, he literally was going to kill himself. If you keep reading on the story, he was going to commit suicide, because if those two prisoners got away, he's done. He would rather kill himself than face what's coming. And then what you get is Paul and Silas run to him, say, stop him. No, 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 don't do that. Don't do it. We're here. We didn't leave. We're still here. We're still here. His mind is already, he's already tripping out. Him and all the rest of the prisoners watching these guys worshiping. He didn't understand that. Now they don't run away when they're free. And this guy is so blown away, the jailer. He says, what do I do to be saved? I don't even, he doesn't even know what to do. He's like, I wanna know this God that you serve. And they tell him, and it was real simple. It says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you're gonna be saved. He goes, well, I believe. And he turns his life to Jesus And he takes them to his family. His family. He's guys, you got to meet these guys. you got to hear what they have to say. His whole family comes to know the Lord. Now you get this jailer. He's washing all their open wounds from the flogging they got. He cleans them up. And then they all make their way back to prison before morning so that they can be there when it opens and nobody dies. And so they get back to prison. And in the morning, the whole legal situation had shifted. They realize they're Roman citizens. They get them released. And the story goes on. That is a radical story, isn't it? There was a strategy, a spiritual strategy that was highlighted, and it was very, very simple. What was it? They simply just gave thanks to the Lord. They did it through worship, and they did it through song. Giving thanks is literally a spiritual warfare strategy, and it has some powerful results. I want to spend the rest of our time this morning just looking at four results of what what happens when you do that. Scripture talks about it. In your outline, if you're following along, the first one I just want to point out is this. Number one is focus. 2 Chronicles 20, verse 12b, it says this. Remember when they said, hey, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. What is that? That is focus. When everything is being pulled out from under your feet, I am telling you, there's something powerful. It's very hard to get focus. It's hard to do. When you've got a big problem, a big hurt, a big challenge, it is really hard not to stare that in the face. The other day I was driving down the freeway. I'm sure you've experienced this. Car in front of you suddenly stops, just who knows why, dead stop. I come to a hard stop. What's the next thing you do when you do that? Look in your mirror, because you know what? something's coming, right? And I'm watching, and here he comes. He is coming in fast, and you hear this, and what do you want to do? Oh, five, four, three, two, you're just waiting, you're right. Aren't you kind of just waiting for the impact? Um, And there's something in us that if you see something that's terrible is going to happen, you can't really look away. It's like, ah, you know, you're watching it. Fortunately, I, you know, peeled my eyes off it. I pulled out of the lane. I found a little spot to go to, and boom. He stopped and I didn't get smashed. But there's something there when something terrible is going on, we get fixated on it because it's so emotional oftentimes for us. And it can be so overwhelming. And it's, it's one of the things. To say we, in those moments you should stop and give thanks, that is so counterintuitive. It is absolutely counterintuitive. It sounds a little insane sometimes, doesn't it? To say this is the time we should be giving thanks. How do you focus on God when everything else is falling apart like that? That's what's going on. You know, a lot of people react differently in problems. Some people freeze up. Some people panic. Some people run. Um, freezing. I, I remember my she's holding my son when he was born, holding him over her, and he loses it. Blah, you know, and she's laying on her back. This baby just lets loose all over her face. And it was one of the first times I remember freezing. Like, I don't usually freeze in those situations, but I was so shocked that what I just, like her mouth was open. I'm telling you, it was not good. And I, my friend was there. He was shocked. I'm like, what do we do? Grab the baby, get a towel, grab a baby. I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. You know, you, sometimes we freeze up in terrible situations. We can do that spiritually as well too. We totally freeze up and we get locked up. And all of a sudden it's so hard to focus on anything about the Lord we get locked up. So I want to give you an illustration about a, a, an easy way to think about this. If um, How many of you have ever shot a gun? Anybody in here? Okay, a lot of you. Um, when you. When they train you how to shoot a gun and it has a back sight and a front sight, from your angle, here's the back sight, here's the front sight, looks like a little U-shape in the front. When you try and hit a target, you got a target out there, what do you want to look at? You kind of want to look at that target, don't you? If you got like these rings on a target and you got a little 10 ring, you want to hit that little 10 ring there. You want to stare at that ring. But if you stare at that ring, you're going to miss it, guaranteed. What they teach you is you got to look at your front sight. And you got to line it up between the back sight. So there should be one thing in focus and one thing only. And that is your front sight. And as your front sight gets in focus, everything else gets blurry. Even your target. I love that illustration. You know why? Focus does something. When you focus on the Lord... The things that will overwhelm you begin to get blurrier. Giving thanks is a strategy on how to actually focus. God, I thank you, you're good. And you start declaring what we know, not what you feel, but what you know that's been revealed. thank you that you're good. I thank you that you're with me. I thank you that you're powerful. I thank you that you're sovereign. I thank you that you go before us, that you go behind us and you just start declaring thanks, and it brings focus. Number one is focus. Number two, transformation. It brings transformation. I want you to think of this. There's, transformation is another way of saying people's lives change. Who are the people that changed in the story? Well, there's a lot of people who change. We talked about the jailer. He is used to being cussed at, spit on, yelled at. But what did he get that night? Something he'd never experienced before, and he was so blown away by it, he wanted to know the God that they worshipped. Because people are giving thanks, and then they see the breakthrough of God. It's powerful. But his life changed. His family's life changed. I guarantee you also, the Bible doesn't list it out, but we know emotions that these guys must have felt, whether it's Paul and Silas in prison. And as they're worshiping, it does something to you emotionally. When you begin to focus on the Lord, transformation begins. It changes you. It puts you in a different emotional and spiritual place. And there's a scripture that talks about that. It's in the book of Habakkuk, and it's chapter 3. You'll see it on the screen. It says this. In Habakkuk chapter 3, it says this. I want you to catch two key words in this passage. The word though and also the word yet. Though and yet. Though the fig tree doesn't bud, and there are no grapes on the vine, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there's no sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I'll be joyful in God, my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. Did you catch the two words? Even though, God, my cupboards are empty, my bank account has nothing left in it, that people I know are gone, even though all of that, God, yet I will worship you. All of us get those in our life. There's a though. There's something radical that's there. And we will somewhere, somehow, we can always say, but yet, because we are in Christ, there are so many promises of being in Christ. We know our future. We know that we have him in our present. We know he'll never leave or forsake us. There's a lot of yet to stand in and to hope in. We always have a yet. That's why I love Paul. He would say things like this. Hey, go ahead and kill me. That is totally fine. I'll be present with the Lord. Great. Hey, if you let me live, that is great too. I'll continue telling people about the Lord. He couldn't have a bad day, right? He lived in a yet. No matter what those were flying around. Habakkuk goes on to tell us a result. If you, like moving in this kind of, Posture, where you say, even though this, yet this, there's a result, and it's in verse 19b. It says this in 19. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer, and he enables me to go to new heights. That is a promise. You start declaring things like, Lord, you are my strength. You start declaring things that you don't feel, but you know, and he enables your feet to go to new heights. That's a way of saying it takes you out of a whole different spiritual place, brings you to a new spiritual place. That is the Bible's way of saying that is transformation. You'll be transformed when you begin to do this. It's beautiful. It is powerful because there's a spiritual principle at play, and this is it. We become what we behold. We become what we behold. That means you stare at something that's going to be overwhelming, disastrous. You start to feel overwhelmed, right? But when you turn your attention to the Lord, and you imagine his space that he lives in, is he ever stressed out? No, he's at rest. Does he have power? He creates the universe. Hello. He's all-powerful. When you begin to enter the place where he is at, you start to feel and experience what you behold. You become more at rest. You know he's got power, so your stress begins to drop. Your anxiety begins to lift. We literally get transformed, and giving thanks is our vehicle. It is a spiritual warfare strategy. It brings transformation. That's why 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 8 says this, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. A lot of people have been confused by that verse. Why in the world would it say give thanks in all circumstances? It doesn't say give thanks for all circumstances. It says give thanks in them. Who cares what the circumstance is? There's a lot of yet to stand in. And we thank God for who he is, and he is still victorious. In spite of what we feel is defeating us in front of us. It makes sense? What he commanded the army to say is, give thanks to the Lord, your love endures forever. There's something powerful about focusing on the goodness of God in those times, because that's one of the first things that we wonder about. It was the first strategy that the enemy attacked from the very beginning in Genesis was the goodness of God. Start by declaring that. It's powerful. One other verse that really highlights this is Psalm 34. It says, in verse 8, taste and see... That the Lord is good. What's that mean? Experience this. Taste and see this. The Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Do you ever notice that, or hear that an infant has, they're very nearsighted. They can't see far away. But their eyes are perfectly adjusted so when a mother is holding the baby in their arms, that the mother's face can become in focus. Everything else is blurry. So, no matter what chaos that baby feels like is all around him, if the baby can see the mother's face, what happens to the baby? Baby can be at rest. Great God designed thing. Taste and see the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. There is a refuge in the Lord. You'll experience, you'll become more of what you behold. That's transformation. It'll literally change you. I remember being blown away by this, and I've shared this before, but it marked me so much. I remember being at a funeral with a friend, and they, uh, they were burying her father. And as the casket is being lowered, it was a graveside service at this point, g- lowering the casket in the ground. I remember watching this family and they began to worship and they began to sing the song, It is well with my soul. As tears were coming down their face, are they grieving? Absolutely they're grieving. He was a great man. They are grieving his loss. Even though, yet I will worship. And they stood in the yet as they were saying goodbye. And it was healing to them. It was healing. They know one day they're going to see him again. But it hurts so bad to say goodbye. Even though and yet, and I'm telling you, it ministered to me. I was transformed by that. Focus, transformation. The other two quickly. Number three is breakthrough. I want you to notice something here. This is pretty significant. When did God come through and answer their prayer? Think of the two stories. The armies attacking and Paul and Silas in prison. When did God answer the prayer? It was during their Thanksgiving. At the very moment they're doing this, God answers. Now, I don't understand, I have to admit from the beginning, I don't understand how all of this works. I can tell you confidently, Scripture invites us to do several things. It says we should be praying. It tells us a lot of things we should pray about. We don't fully understand prayer. But God, in his amazing wisdom... And his desire to be living life with us and through us and all this. He has included us in this. Where when we pray, he calls us ambassadors of his. We're his children. That when we pray, heaven responds. Somehow God uses us when we pray. It's not an empty exercise. Whether we feel something or not, things happen. What's fascinating to me in this story is the moment this army is giving thanks, this choir is giving thanks, thank you, God, you're good. Thank you, you live forever. Thank you, God. That's what they're doing. Paul and Silas doing that. At that moment, rescue came. They got breakthrough at that moment. It's probably safe to say that as we give thanks, something is happening spiritually In the unseen realms that we cannot even begin to explain. But God, I give you thanks. God, I worship you. I adore you. I honor you. Thank you, God. When you start moving into that by faith, because you don't see it, you got to understand things happen. God moves. Heaven responds. Angels may be dispatched. An earthquake comes. An army is routed in those stories, right? Who knows what's going on? There's no promise or guarantee that we're going to see a breakthrough or rescue like they did in these stories. And in God's sovereignty, he's got those things. That's why people weren't even believers for all time. They were not dependent on what that outcome was. They would be singing all the way through. There's a lot of believers who've been martyred for their faith throughout the ages, worshiping all the way through till they go to glory, right? But I'm telling you, there is something to it, though, that breakthrough comes in those moments, because it is so spiritually powerful. There's something real to it. Psalm 50, verse 23 highlights this aspect. It says, he who sacrifices, thank offerings, honors me, and he prepares the way so that I may show him the salvation of God. What prepares the way? Thank offerings. Isn't that an amazing picture? Give thanks, it prepares the way for God to show up. How awesome is that? I love that it even uses the word thank offerings. Why? Because sometimes when you're doing it, it feels like an offering because you don't feel like doing it. Your emotions are not there. So it feels like a sacrifice. It's like, it's hard to do it. Your, your, your heart's definitely not there. So it's almost like a cold-blooded turn of the will. You're, even though all this is going on, I'm gonna enter into this thing and I will start giving you thanks, God. I'll stand on what I know and you start to enter into a new space. That's, that's powerful. That's a thank offering. Have you ever considered this? In light of this principle, that choosing just to focus on the problem and ignore God, stay out of it, you could literally stop or delay the move of God in the situation? And the flip side, have you ever considered this? Have you ever considered that if you move into just giving thanks, declaring trust, in a situation, can literally advance or bring breakthrough quicker? Should God bring that? you ever considered that? There's so many stories of breakthrough. My favorite prayer hero is George Mueller. You've heard the story, I'm sure, where they've had no food on the table for 300 orphans when they got there for breakfast. And what does George Mueller do? He says, thanks for the meal. He leads all the kids, God, thank you for this meal you're about to provide. And he sits down. And there's no food. Door. Someone knocks. Hey, my milk truck just broke down. Could you use? I got so much milk, I don't know what to do with it. Yes. Yes, we can. We'll take that. Uh, Another knock at the door. The baker. Hey, I just felt felt like the Lord wanted me to bring all this bread to you. They bring all this bread. Now the kids eat that morning. Those kids never forgot that. I love it. It's just a picture of someone who says, God, I thank you in light of what I see, and I'm trusting you because it's out of my control. I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you, right? Great picture of that. As a church, we've experienced it. Remember when we had a line of credit that we would dip into in times where our giving and expenses would be not matching. It catches up at the end of the year, but the summer months are always up and down, so we had a line of credit for that. Well, unannounced, the bank just says, oh, we're taking that. It was a result of something we did, but they're just, boom, it's, it's gone. Well, all of a sudden, it's right when you're going to dip into it. So we come as a church and say, hey, this is what happened. And what do we do? We worship. you remember that? And then God provided more than he needed. We didn't even need the bank line after that. So thank you so much. We don't need that. And off we go. I love the fact that even corporately God teaches us these things. can teach us as a church. He'll teach you individually. He's taught me individually. Gives me opportunities to do that all the time. Where it says, God, even though this, yet this, and you wait for breakthrough. That's how God moves. Focus, transformation, breakthrough. The last one is this. It's protection. And I'll explain what that means. I'll use Psalm 95 to do it. It says, come. Now listen how he says, give thanks. Let us sing for the Lord, or sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let's come before him with thanksgiving, extol him with music and song, For the Lord is a great God. And then he goes on to say how great God is. And in verse 7 is where he gives a warning. Today, if you would hear his voice, then moving into verse 8. Do not harden your heart as you did at Meribah, as you did at the day at Messah in the wilderness. Where your ancestors tested me and they tried me, though they had seen what I did. What is he talking about? What does that mean? They harden their hearts. And then he references some story. The story he's referencing is when the children of Israel got the dramatic release. The Exodus movie is coming out soon. That's what this story is illustrating. God does a dramatic rescue for those people, rescues them, and then they go. These people are so excited how God saved them that you could read things like in Exodus 15. They're singing things like this The Lord is my strength, He's my defense. He's become my salvation. He is my God. I will praise him. My father's God. I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariot's and army. He's hurled into the sea. And they are going for it, right? Dancing, singing, praising God. Three days later, that whole scene changes. They're thirsty and they're in a hot desert. They start grumbling against Moses, grumbling against God, and they lived in that place. And they stop declaring thanks. Psalm 95 verse 8 basically says, Don't harden your hearts as they did at Meribah. Do you realize that not doing this does something to you spiritually? That creates a hard crust to even be open to the things of God. When we stop declaring faith when we can't see and saying, God, thank you. We literally run the risk of hardening ourselves toward the things of God. And therefore, we see less of the things of God. The protection that's offered is when you give thanks, it keeps you in a soft, pliable, receptive place where you can receive the things of God. That's a benefit, isn't it? It's powerful. Because if you live in the dark place, even the blessing God gives you feels like a burden. They were freed from Egypt. Now it felt like a burden. They got to figure out how to survive. You pray for kids. God, I want kids. Now you got them. Now you got to drive them everywhere. Got to feed. Oh, and I got to work more. You're stressing out. Oh, it's a burden. Right? Oh, Lord, my job is so stressful. Right. He gave you a job, right? Lord, my car takes so much gas. Great. He gave you a car. There's a place where we start to turn and we start shifting. Psalm 95 says, you want to protect your heart? Give thanks. It is a spiritual strategy and it's really powerful. I want you to think today as we close this. I want you to think about your heart. I want you to think about the scripture in Habakkuk says, even though, yet. What is your though? What is that? What is the hardest thing for you to look past to see God? What is the hurt? What is the pain? What's the unanswered prayer? What's the lost dream? What is that? There's something powerful as the people of God to enter into what the people of God have done in the past and to say, even though this, you're going to look to the Lord and let your eyes focus on him. That's what we're going to, that's what we really want to get to. That's what we want to do. So today as we close, we're going to do that. Do a couple songs here at the end so we can refocus ourselves. But before we do that, I just want you to invite you. Why don't you put your... Step down, put your Bibles away, your notes away, bow your heads, close your eyes, and I'll lead you in prayer first, and then we'll have our team lead us. Well, first as you sit here, and as you turn your heart and your attention to God, I want you just to imagine his greatness and his goodness and his power, and he's real. He's very present. Scripture says amazing things like, he says, I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. Even when it looks like it's dark and bleak, believers throughout the ages would tell you he's always been there. He's always there. Maybe you are like the jailer and you've heard something that is pretty compelling and profound. You see in these stories a whole different way about people who put their trust in God and It's so simple. He just says, believe on the Lord Jesus, and you'll be saved. You recognize that he's God come in the flesh. He he literally died. He rose, appearing to hundreds, confirming the fact that he has overcome sin, Satan, and death. One day he will destroy that. You just say, I believe you. Put my trust in you. I confess my sin to you. I need your cleansing in my life. That's how It begins. And for all of us, you know what we do? We just say, God, today we want to do something. We want to look to you and remember your goodness and your power. That's what we're doing today, Lord. We say thank you that you're good. We thank you that you're powerful. This worship team is about to lead us in a song. It's called Forever, and it focuses on something. It's a great spiritual warfare song. Because what it's declaring is the victory that Jesus won. When he died and he rose, it gave us the Yet. We live in promise and hope, and there's going to be something about this. As you sing and enter into this song, what I want you to do, let your though begin to disappear and go blurry, and let the goodness of God begin to come more and more in focus so you can experience transformation, and we'll trust Him for whatever breakthroughs. And I know some of them, it's just, there's just pain that you may be living with. It's not necessarily going away, but man, it will lessen. The Lord will meet you there in those places. Let's stand like the people of God have done in the past. I invite you to stand right now, and let's enter into worship. Thank you. Isn't that great to do that together? Something transforming about that. And I know a lot of you, you had your though in front of you, just worshiped and entered into that. That's powerful. You know that scripture says, don't just hear this, then leave. In Psalm 192, it tells us about the lesson we heard, the spiritual warfare lesson. It says, it's good to say thank you to the Lord, guess how often? Every morning, telling him, thank you for your kindness. And every evening, rejoice in all his faithfulness. What a great recipe, right? And you wake up, thank you, God, you're so kind. Thank you, God, you're still with me. And in the evening, God, thank you, you're still faithful. Even as I sleep, you're faithful. That is a picture of someone entering in to the goodness of God. And you will experience greater focus. You will experience transformation, breakthrough. It will protect your heart. So may you experience the goodness of God this week. May you experience how kind he is. May your praise and thanksgiving flow freer than it ever has before. And you experience the breakthrough and transformation protection that he offers. In Jesus' name. You know, if uh, there's anybody here before uh, you leave today, you'd like to pray with somebody, you have a special need you'd like prayer for, or any need that you've got, we have people who are willing to stand and pray with you. They're over to my right and your left. Feel free to make your way over there at the end of the service, and they'd be more than happy to uh, connect with you and pray with you. And uh, we'd invite you to come back next week. Mike will be bringing the word, jumping back into our Genesis series. God bless you guys. Have a great Thanksgiving weekend. See you next week.